Well, today we're continuing our sermon series, Meeting in the Middle, where we're looking at different psalms because the psalms are in the middle of the Bible, and we're meeting each other in the middle of our faith journeys, and we're meeting in the middle of some hard times. Our scripture lesson this morning is Psalm 23. I'll be reading the King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. God, we trust that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there among them. And we trust that even now you are here among us, knitting us together near and far into one body of faith. God, we pray that you would open us up, that you would open our eyes and our ears, you would open our hearts and our minds. And then, oh God, would you open our hands that we might serve you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Halloween has never been my favorite holiday. In fact, without the candy to sort of redeem it, I'm not sure I would have much use for it at all. There's a lot of pressure to have a really great costume, something, you know, that's like a little creative, but also kind of clever. I saw someone dressed up as avocado with a halo on top, and they were holy guacamole. (laughs) There's just, it feels like there's a lot of pressure, and maybe it's because we're home more these days, but it does feel like people have taken their yard decorations up a notch. In our neighborhood alone, there are several fake cemeteries, which I think really begs the question, how many fake cemeteries does one neighborhood need? And I think maybe it's hardest for me because I don't quite understand what it is we're celebrating. What are we celebrating on Halloween? I understand Thanksgiving, July 4th, Christmas and Easter, especially for those of us who attend church. Those, those all feel like I can wrap my mind around it. But what exactly is Halloween for? Well, today is All Saints Sunday, and we celebrate all those who have died. In the church, it's not just the Mother Teresas who we get to call saints. It's anyone who's died in the faith and now rests with God. In many churches, All Saints Sunday is one of the only Sundays in the year where they baptize people. All Saints is fundamentally about baptism. Those who have been baptized in the faith and now rest at peace with God. In the early church, the habit was to celebrate a holiday beginning at sundown the evening before, sort of like the Jewish Sabbath, sundown to sundown. So Christmas began to be celebrated the evening before, Christmas Eve. It's the same thing with all saints. Hallow is the word for holy. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And e'en is a contraction for evening. So Halloween is the evening before the holy day 
of all saints. I found this interesting. One of the possible origins of costumes comes from this Christian understanding of all saints, this Christian understanding of Halloween. All Hallows was a day to celebrate that though these individuals had died, death did not have victory over them. They were saints, after all. They were waiting on the resurrection of the dead. So dressing up like goblins and ghosts and skeletons was a way of mocking the powers of death and evil because ultimately those things hold no power over Christians. It was a way of mocking the forces of death and evil. Now, of course, people dress up like all sorts of things for Halloween. Movie characters, presidents, cartoons, all kinds of things. When I was in seminary at Duke, I worshiped regularly at Duke Chapel, which is the neo-Gothic cathedral at the heart of the campus. One of my favorite services every year was the All Hallows' Eve service. We would start in the courtyard outside of the um, chapel's steps around a fire pit. The service was late. It started at 10 p.m. We would gather there in the darkness, and we'd be asked to gather and then to come down the center aisle. It's a cathedral, so there's a second story above the aisle, and the choir would stand there with single candles and sing as we processed down that center aisle. It was a smaller service, so we were welcome to sit up in the chancel together. And because it was Halloween on a college campus, people were encouraged to wear costumes. So you'd see students dressed up as professors, roommates dressed as Mario and Luigi, usually in Alice in Wonderland somewhere in there. And when we would sit there in the chancel, we would hear the stories of the saints. We'd share communion together. And it was what they call a thin place. It was one of my favorite nights because the presence of God always felt very close. Like the distance between us who were gathered here and those who had gathered on the other side of the veil was not very far at all. It was like the space was just pulsing with the presence of Jesus. It was a thin place. The air vibrated with God's presence. God who was present both with us in that place and present with those who had gone on. Our scripture lesson this morning is David's psalm about God's faithfulness and protection. It's beloved. It's read at most funerals and memorial services for those we love. When you close your eyes and hear the words, green pastures, still waters, it almost makes you think that David is talking about a place that looks like Ireland or the rolling hills of Appalachia in North Carolina, a place where sheep bounce happily among the green meadows and there are babbling brooks with water rushing over the rocks. But in reality, shepherding in Israel looks nothing like that. David, you might remember, was the youngest of Jesse's sons. Samuel had been sent by God to look for a king among Jesse's sons to anoint. All the boys are lined up there that day when Samuel arrives, but God says, none of these is the chosen one. Are there any others? And Jesse says, there's one more, the smallest, the least impressive. He's out in the fields. 
with the sheep. David is anointed king of Israel. David was a shepherd. His job was to provide and protect the sheep, to lead them to food, to make sure that no harm came to them. If David were a shepherd in a place like Ireland, that'd be no big deal, right? There's plenty of green pastures, plenty of still waters. But David was a shepherd in a place that looks more like this. This is the wilderness in Israel. This is the land between the flat lands of the Jordan River Basin, where grains were grown, and the hill country around Jerusalem, where they terraced the hillsides to grow produce. Even today, you'll see herds, Bedouin tribes that keep their herds there. They set up camps, and they lead their sheep along the craggy hills to look for water and grass. It's here where David would have written his psalm, where David would have led his sheep for provision. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that changes the way I hear these words in the shepherd's psalm. Because this psalm is now about a God who finds green pastures, a God who leads to still waters when they're hard to find, a God who even here can be trusted. Because in green meadows and babbling brooks, it's easy. But here, in the wilderness, it's hard. This is a God of abundance, even when the world looks like there's nothing to be found here. Over the past month, I've heard some of the stories of the saints we named together today. I've heard stories of people who met their spouses here. Stories of artists who gave this church beauty and music. Stories of a choir director who filled every nook and cranny with light. And many other kind, loving, faithful people. And those are just the stories I've heard. But no matter who the story was about, time and again, I heard stories of God's abundance in times of challenge. That even in the midst of the hardest of life's circumstances, God was made known. There's a Christian singer-songwriter named Billy Crockett, and he sings a song that's called The Question Pool. It's this series of questions, and he says that he's drinking from the water down at the question pool. The last verse says this. Why am I moved by stories of Eden? What does this lovely sadness mean? Am I a traveler who cannot remember home? Why do I cry sometimes in dreams? All Saints Sunday is a lovely sadness kind of day. It's a day to celebrate, to give thanks, to witness to the goodness that is abundant in our lives and in the lives of those around us, to be thankful for those who fought the good fight and who now rest from their labors, who now dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But it also comes with a sense of longing. Every All Saints Day, I think about those in my life 
who I have loved and see no more. I know you do the same. Today we'll celebrate communion. We will each, wherever we are, take a small piece of bread or a wafer, a little cup of juice or wine, and we'll celebrate and remember that night that Jesus first shared this meal with those he loved. And we will be sharing that feast alongside those who we love but see no more. They will be feasting at the table on the other side of the veil. This is the thin place. Your tables at home are the thin place. They're the place between the here and the now and the what is to come. When we come to communion, we partake of heavenly food. The food is a foretaste of the banquet we'll share in God's kingdom. And when we come to communion, we come in community with all of those saints who have gone before us. So when I come to this table on All Saints Day, I think about Mary Matt, my friend who taught me what tenacity looks like in the face of life's toughest challenges. I think about my grandmother who we called Dear, and she was so aptly named. I think about my other grandmother, Rosellen, who was a quintessential Southern lady. I think about my grandfathers, Grand Jack and Gigi, who were humble and quiet and also fierce. And I think about Jerry, a youth who lit up a room. I think about these saints, these compelling, beautiful, Christ-like people. And when we come to communion, we commune with them. It isn't magic. There's no magic at this table. There's no magic at your tables at home. But coming to communion lets us feast with them. It won't bring them back from the dead, but when we come to this table, we fellowship with them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Something happens. At this table, we feast alongside all of those who dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our God is a God of provision and abundance. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. Even when the night is long and the grief is close at hand, God is there. And so are those we love. Just on the other side of the veil, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We love the 23rd Psalm.